0: you're listening to distilling theology i'm blake and i'm justin
1: and this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits
0: and dad jokes amen
2: what's wrong with you people you're not david
1: i don't know why you're clapping i'm talking about you
0: fatality you know Starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business.
1: <laughs>
0: I said that with a straight face. This is- Distilling Theology.
1: Welcome back, males and females, to another episode of the best podcast you will listen to this week, for sure, I promise. Uh, Distilling Theology. Blake... My dear friend and brother in Christ, how have you been this week?
0: You know, been uh, been working. Actually, the week that this episode is released is going to be after... Uh, we're recording this on a Friday. We're going to be recording the episode prior to this tomorrow night. So uh, we're having a bit of a time dilation, time travel uh, stuff, as we do on this podcast a lot lately, apparently. Uh, so... Currently I'm doing you know I'm doing great um looking forward to the weekend picked mm-hmm. up some cigars for my brother's birthday and uh that's going to be a good time so Did you
1: have a lovely Independence Day
0: I did uh but we already talked about that in the episode <laughs> that was very very late in coming to uh, to the show but it was on Patreon early so there's <laughs> that little plug uh, and once again we are not alone No in fact we are not Blake uh keep You keep
1: lining these up, and I am not going to turn them down. (laughs) So thank you for that. (laughs) Um, Why don't you introduce yourself, dear guest, tell us who you are, where you're from, and why in the world you would choose to be a guest on our show.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm not confident of uh, the reason why yet, or if I'll be back. Um, (laughs) But... So my name is Austin. I'm the, the host of Sipping On Theology podcast. I am currently in uh, California, in Escondido, California. I attend Westminster Seminary out here. I'm originally from California as well, um, Central California, so about three hours north of where I'm at currently. And yeah, uh, started sipping On Theology about three months ago. Really wanted to just lay forth some of the theology that I've been wrestling through over the past, you know, eight to ten years, and I'm then growing in Reformed theology and wanting to to really bridge the gap between the Reformed world and the evangelical world, I've noticed that there's a there's a big gap there, and so mm-hmm. I'm I'm wanting to help in in terms of filling that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, well,
2: and welcome to the show. Yeah thanks. man. welcome. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. It's great to sure. uh, to be invited on. So and to yeah. sip something different than coffee. It's kind of <laughs> nice sure. to be able to you know still be sipping, but uh, on, on something a, a, a little more of an adult beverage. So sure. I appreciate the invite. Well,
0: hey, coffee is an adult beverage.
2: I, I, we, I, yeah, you're right.
0: You're right. And and you <laughs> you've done some pretty interesting coffees on this. So like I'm I do like between the the French <clears throat> press and the Chemex. That's kind of my my world these days. And uh, I'm personally partial towards like Latin American coffees that are lighter end of medium roast with a full body, uh, lower acidity, nicer. Yeah. I, I tend to be partial towards like cocoa and, and nutty notes. But lately right. I've been trying um, some more like third wave coffee roasters. And I got to say some of the, those like berry and citrus notes are really good. I didn't always yeah. used to like them because they were so um, acidic. But these, yeah. don't, these don't seem to have that. It's a really cool... Cool niche. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Agreed. Yeah. But anywho, there's there's that. And Austin, and Sipinon Theology is also a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. This is a mega feed of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective, obviously including yours truly, Distilling Theology. on Theology, Reformed Brotherhood, Fast God Stuff, Reformed Pilgrims, Steady Anchor, and the Bobcast. Uh, and Also, one last note before we start jumping in and tasting some awesome, delicious spirits.
1: Nameless plug.
0: Hey, well, Justin, what do we have on our store now?
1: Well, we are very, very excited uh, to have finally launched our store where you can currently pick up one, two, or three or more. I mean, you're not limited to three, but uh, we have three distinct uh, coffee mugs with different quotes from... Our boy, Herman Bavinck, uh from The Wonderful Works of God on the back. Each one is a different color and has a different quote from Mr. Bob, and we are super excited about that. Uh, if you go on there, you can actually uh, get all three right now for a limited time. For a discount, um, it would be 33 33 for all three of them. Uh, Whoa. If you, if you jump on there. So if you throw Man. all three in your cart, you'll get an automatic discount for that. Um, our patrons also get... A discount uh, so if you join us on patreon on patreon you will indefinitely have discounts on anything that's on the store so oh shoot uh, yeah by all means join our family <laughs> we'll it's be happy to have you uh but yeah yeah I'm excited I'm excited for today um, so what are we sipping on yeah today I'm excited it's been a while since we've had something this um smoky
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm,
1: I'm excited. We're sipping Ardbeg 10-year. Blake, why don't you tell us a little bit about this particular dram before we dive in?
0: Sure. So Ardbeg is a distillery that was established in 1815. They're known predominantly these days for doing a bunch of small, limited releases. So they'll do things year to year that will vary, which is awesome. You get a bunch of variety. Um, but their 10-year-old scotch is one that is just rock-solid, consistent, um, this is one that they is like kind of their their flagship Scotch, if you will. Um, this is a peated Scotch. It's from the Isle of Isla, uh, and just a refresher on Scotch regions. With Scottish whiskey, you have um, the Highlands, the Lowlands, and the Islands, and then within those regions, the Highlands contain the Speyside region. Uh, adjacent to the Lowlands is Campbeltown, and one island in particular gets its own subregion, which is Isla. Uh, this is where you have Lagavulin, Lafroig, Ardbeg, Brukladi, Bunahaven, uh, and a few others that I'm forgetting. But there's only a handful of distilleries in that region that produce smoky scotch. Uh, this particular malt was named Whiskey of the Year in 2008, and it is bottled at 92 proof, or 46% alcohol by volume. Uh, not a reference to the 46 high peaks of the Adirondack Mountains, <laughs> but shameless plug again, and this is non-chill filtered, so um, you're much clo- like there's no uh, no craziness going on there, and it's a very very lovely light gold color. Yeah. Um, but let's see what do we what do we get on the nose, gentlemen?
1: Well, obviously, right out of the gate, you're getting a lot of peat smoke, some menthol uh what is that
0: what is that
1: it almost smells like bandages
0: yeah so a lot of these isla malts you will start to get some of that like medicinal iodine aroma um yeah i uh oh man this is like a nice like charcoal campfire smoke Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah which when we get into like Lagavulin and Laphroaig, you'll find those have a very different quality of smoke that tends to have more of a barbecue or a brisket meatiness. And this one I find has much more of that woody. Yeah, there, um, there's
1: some nuttiness to this. Yeah. Maybe some peanuts, you know.
0: Yeah. And there's also a little tinge of like tang. Um, mm. Almost like an orange zest, I think. Maybe mm, lemon.
1: It's more it's more grapey to me.
0: Okay. You know, than it is zesty. See that. And here's what they, uh, what Ardbeg's distillery says. A burst of intense smoke fruit escapes into the atmosphere. Uh, peat infused with zesty lemon and lime wrapped in waxy dark chocolate, bold mm. menthol and black pepper sliced through the sweet smoke followed by terry ropes and graphite. Savor the aroma of smoked fish and crispy bacon alongside oh. green bell peppers, baked pineapple and pear juice.
1: You can't go wrong with bacon. Let's be honest. Amen. amen. <laughs> and then apparently
0: when you when you add water, uh, it brings out an oceanic and mineral uh, quality with cool and briny sea spray, wax, lemon, and lime, coal tar, soap, beeswax, and herbal piney woodlands, toasted vanilla and sizzling cinnamon, simmer with warm hazelnut and almond toffee. I love these descriptors so much. These guys are so, so descriptive. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is a and this is about a 50 dollar bottle at least where i live uh i see some places i've seen it as high as 60 other places i've seen it as low as like 45 um sure. and it's just one of the best values i think in peated scotch um a, a staple a must have on the shelf uh so on that note let's let's get in and taste it and then uh start talking about some some stuff and some things cheers gentlemen cheers
1: lighter than I anticipated Yeah, it's got a nice light light mouth feel it's kind of uh, buttery there's like butter, salt you get some of that you get a little bit of the earthiness but then that campfire smoke like you were saying is kind of billowing
0: yeah there's also a nice, um, I almost want to say, like a toffee sweetness that's kind of going around. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of brightness in there too that's kind of punching through. Maybe a little bit of lemon peel, um, like some iodine brine. There's a, there's like that kind of characteristic. Oh, it's so good. It is. Yeah.
1: Mm. Man. It's good.
0: Their their taste description is really good. Oh dear. Like not to just keep reading their stuff, but uh, an explosion of crackling peat sets off millions of flavor explosions. (laughs) Peat effervesces with tangy lemon and lime juice. Black pepper pops with sizzling cinnamon spiced toffee. Then comes a wave of brine infused with smooth buttermilk, ripe bananas and currants. Smoke gradually wells up on the palate, bringing a mouthful of warm, creamy cappuccino and toasted marshmallows. As the taste lengthens and deepens, dry espresso, licorice root, and terry smoke develop, coating the palate with chewy peat oils. The finish goes on and on, long and smoky with terry espresso, anise anise seed, toasted almonds, and traces of soft barley and fresh pear. Basically, it's amazing. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I feel like the people who are writing these descriptions
1: just start... They just just they just want to keep writing, so right. they just keep going. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Although,
0: although, take it. See if you get cappuccino and toasted marshmallows. I'm seeing it. I, I get that. Um, it's, the, it's it's the got a similar mouth feel
1: to, uh, to 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 a cappuccino almost. That was very yeah. smooth, but very yeah. s- like, almost silky
0: smooth. You know what I'm catching? It's like almost in the middle of the mouth. There is um, that like espresso bitterness mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. where the okay. sweetness yeah. is yeah, 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 more around yeah. the is more around the sides mm-hmm. yeah uh and then the smoke is just just billowing in the most right. delightful delightful but it doesn't overpower it,
1: it's way right. less yeah it's way less um like assertive than like the lagavulin is for example which sure. it's like somebody's like squeezing a campfire in your stomach and it's coming flying out of your mouth yeah um, yeah this is a lot more subtle but it's like pleasant it's, it's more like a spring fire when you're sitting far enough away that it's not blowing directly in your face
2: Amen. right with those with those toasted marshmallows kind of hinting around the corner mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. yeah tasty i like mm-hmm. it so how does this, how does a uh, whiskey tasting compare
0: for uh, coffee tasting? Cause I haven't done, I haven't done like a proper coffee tasting in a long time. Yeah.
2: I mean, I, I would say I'm, I'm an amp, the whiskey tasting on my end is uh, that's why I'm a bit silent because I just don't know what I'm ta- <laughs> what I'm talking about. And like you were mentioning, there's some overlap between this and coffee tasting, but sure. I just haven't quite dabbled into that overlap yet. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, but I think a lot of it is just, it comes with time and becoming familiar yeah. with, Like developing the palate, and what is it like? You guys are saying, what is it that I'm getting? You know, how how can we even describe what it is that we're tasting? So, yeah, there's definitely some overlap there. I just haven't. I've told Blake
1: a million times, like the difference between when the first time he came to my house and brought like. 15 bottles of whiskey.
2: Yeah. And,
1: and we just spent like a couple of evenings just yeah. sampling them uh, right. to, to give me like a, an experience, like I traveled the world with my mouth, you know? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah but yeah. To, to go from where I was there to like yeah. the things that I'm able to pick up now. Yeah. Um, sure. Like uh, like we did the, the, the mystery whiskey, you know? Yeah. And I oh, was actually yeah. at least able to get the, the distillery because yeah, I was right. able to pick up on so many of the familiar notes. Oh, it's wow. just a very different. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of those things, like you said, it just comes with experience and time and like knowing what you're looking for.
0: Right. Right. Well, it was actually because I was a barista and I had learned coffee tasting. Yeah. That's kind of how I translated the skills to like, there is definitely one, but it was just kind of like learning how to identify, like, like it's like learning how to do it again.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So
0: instead of looking for like that cocoa and that nuttiness and that citrus peel and, um that roastiness and some of those most common yeah sure yeah you're like now you're kind of going like for for american whiskeys it tends to be like caramels and vanillas um and apples and then in scotch whiskeys it's like malt cereal and if it's smoky whiskey it's some kind of smoke and are we talking right there's a lot more orchard
1: fruits in the space sides and things you get a lot more of that
0: Um, yeah yeah a lot of dark fruits yeah right like that so anywho there's all that Justin, let's uh, let's get into our topic, but uh, start up start off with a little reflection and some prayer.
1: Indeed, I feel like I feel like I've read a lot of these lately, but uh, I'm down with I'm down with the sickness, as it were, because
0: we've been recording quite a few episodes in the last <laughs> <Yeah>. week. <laughs> um, but for those of you who who I
1: don't know if anybody actually does this, but follows along with their value vision, um, which by the way, just. An occasional reminder: If you don't have the Valley of Vision, please pick it up. Um, it is worth every penny. It's a it collection, basically, of Puritan prayers and devotions uh, that have been collected over the years. I'm um, just put up, put up by Banner of Truth, and it's just you can get a paperback copy for cheap.
0: Um, we're not sponsored, no, by the way. No, we're not. But
1: <laughs> it's edited by Arthur Bennett, and it is yeah. just a phenomenal. Um, a resource, and it it, yeah. it changed my whole perspective on prayer, hmm. um, and and really enhanced like my prayer life in in indescribable ways. <laughs> Amen. Okay, <So>. Chris Tomlin
2: <laughs> <laughs> changed you from the inside out. That
1: <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you have Valley Vision, page fifty four, the Spirit of Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, fill me with Thy Spirit that I may be occupied with His presence. I am blind, send him to make me see. Dark, let him say, let there be light. May he give me faith to behold my name engraven in thy hand, my soul and body redeemed by thy blood, my sinfulness covered by thy life in pure obedience. Replenish me by his revealing grace, that I may realize my indissoluble union at thee, that I may know thou hast espoused me in thyself forever. In thy righteousness, love, mercy, faithfulness, that I am one with thee, as a branch with its stock, as a building with its foundation. May his comforts cheer me in my sorrows, his strength sustain me in my trials, his blessings revive me in my weariness, his presence render me a fruitful tree of holiness, his might establish me in peace and joy, his incitements make me ceaseless in prayer, his animation kindle in me undying devotion. Send him as the searcher of my heart to show me more of my corruptions and my helplessness that I may flee to thee, cling to thee, rest on thee as the beginning and end of my salvation. May I never vex him by my indifference, by waywardness, grieve him by my cold welcome, resist him by my hard rebellion. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for thy great name's sake. Amen.
0: Mm. Amen. Amen. What a good way to get into our topic this week as we are continuing this whole conversation about the doctrine of Scripture, and I think we've already mentioned it probably on every episode leading up to this, but on Sippin' on Theology, Austin did a great four-part series talking about the canonicity of Scripture, so we wanted to have him on here to kind of have a conversation about it, um, since it's so fresh there and providentially just worked out perfectly that just as he was finishing that we were starting our doctrine of scripture so we could keep bouncing back and and referencing that so if you haven't yet go check it out because uh, it's a it's a really like i learned a bunch of stuff and i thought um you did a great job taking a topic that can be very austere and um and contentious to be quite yeah. frank it's something people right. get very uh argumentative about certainly between uh protestants and and catholics but yeah. also now in evangelicalism which it's it's amazing to hear that you're doing th- that that's the the whole spirit and i didn't know that that it was to to bring sort of a bridge between the reformed world and the evangelical world um but yeah, in a true. broad line evangelicalism there is a lot of this like well why do we have these 66 books yeah. that we call scripture like what about <laughs> the gospel of this and what about yeah. the apocrypha and so i guess just getting into the the start of it, um, could you tell us what is what is the word canon mean? Like what are we are we talking about like big guns on wheels? Like what is the canon of scripture?
1: I'm always talking about big guns on wheels. Yeah you are <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, no, not not big guns, but uh, canon just simply means measure or, or rule. And so when we think of the canon of Scripture, it's the the rule that these books were, in a sense, tested against to determine their canonicity or to identify, rather, their canonicity. That's one definition. But then once those books are identified as canon, received as canon, now the whole canon, the 66 books, become the measure for our life as Christians. So you can see there's like, kind of like that double aspect of, a, you know, they are identified and then it's our rule. That's what we look to, um, to see how to live according to what God has said.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I guess with that being said, um, ultimately, why does that matter in the life of a Christian? Why does it matter that we've identified these particular books as the canon of scripture? And like, how does that impact the way we live life as Christians?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I the the whole idea of canon as covenant or canon as covenant documents is is very big and important in the sense that we serve a God who is a covenantal God and he has come, he's revealed himself and he's told us things about him and he's told us things about his will. And so just a basic quick answer is because this is what God has said, and if we're Christians, we affirm that we want to do what God has said, then these are the books that we'd want to look to. And, and it's important to then start drawing the lines in the sense that if they're covenant documents, then we want to see which ones has God said are covenant documents. And in order to actually be following um, the things that God has said rather than writings of, of mere men, which those writings could be helpful Uh, But we wouldn't want to, they're not authoritative. And that's another aspect is these books are authoritative.
0: Well, and that kind of, um, I didn't put it in here, but Westminster 1-2 lists out the 66 books, and London Baptist does the same. And in Three Forms of Unity, all the confessional documents uh, from the Reformed tradition have a listing of the 66 books that we call the Old and New Testament of Scripture um, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, And so in that you know and I'm we've all kind of bounced around it but um because it's so fresh for you Austin what how do we well actually this is more before we get to that do we establish or do we recognize and acknowledge the canon and does it matter to to you know use sort of a, a distinction there
2: yeah that's a it's it definitely matters that we distinguish given the fact that our difference one of the main differences between us and the Roman Catholics is where we find our authority. And so we don't impose our view over upon scripture, thus establishing the canon. Rather, we receive the canon. The Mm. books are canonical upon the transmission from God to the human author. They are canonical at that moment. The church is then receiving, Mm. recognizing. Now, there are statements later on about these books, but those statements, it's a mere recognition of how things had already been. Rather than how they wanted them to be, whereas the Roman Catholics are more so saying this is how we want it to be because they see the church as having the same authority as the, mm. the as scripture. So that's one of the, sure. the big differences. Yeah, super important distinction. And then within that, how do we?
0: Um, I mean, this is like a long, long question, but um, well, I'll, I'll circle back to that one later on for more discussion. But um, why do we accept the Protestant canon, since we keep talking about the difference between Protestant and Roman, and, and you, you gave a little bit of the, the fundamental difference there, but, um, you know, why do we reject some of the books that they included their canon of Scripture? Yeah. Um, and I guess
1: following up with that, too, uh, since you'll probably be able to answer this, this question with the same answer to some degree, why do we reject not just the, what the Roman Catholics accept, but why do we reject anything else? Yeah, uh, as well, like uh, yeah. Josephus or whatever. What, what other things might be
0: out Joseph there? Joseph Smith, yeah, yeah right. New <laughs> Testament, <laughs> right? Yeah, Why do we yeah, reject yeah. the Book of Mormon? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I so this is kind of a it's a twofold question. I think it's important sure. that mm-hmm. a lot of the work that I did on on my podcast on Sipping on Theology was geared toward the New Testament canon. Given that, as you mentioned, Blake in the broadly evangelical world, that's what's under attack right now. The New Testament canon yeah. is because of the the rise of Gnosticism, the Gnostic mm-hmm. Gospels, Gospels of, uh, Gospel of Thomas and such, they've yeah. made a, a debut or, or they've, they've come back. And so there's a difference between the New Testament canon and the Old Testament canon. So that's one distinction mm-hmm. we have to make to see, you know, what, what what are the differences between those two? And so when we talk about why the Protestants accept their canon over against the Roman Catholics, the Roman Catholics and the Protestants agree on the 27 books of the New Testament, which is important. Uh, there, there's there's overall agreement there. And so that helps when we're engaging the Gnostic Gospels. And then back to the Old Testament, what comes in question is those books of the Apocrypha, or in other words, the intertestamental period between Ezra or b- between the Old Testament and the New Testament, basically the gap between those two periods, that's what's in question. And there is, I mean, it's a, the, the discussion is a challenging one because the work that's been done, there's there's a good amount of work, but there's still a great more amount of work that needs to be done. Whereas on the New Testament side, I think there's a lot more scholarship that's been worked out. Um, and then with, so with the Apocrypha, the reason why Protestants, would mainly reject that is they point back to a few different reasons, um, namely that the New Testament doesn't quote these books, that the early church fathers didn't identify them as scripture. However, there is a break between Jerome and Augustine. And so that's when we get back into the history a bit. The Roman Catholics side with Augustine, who did view these as canonical, and then the Protestants side with Jerome, who said that they weren't. Um, So that's one thing to recognize. And it's really at the Protestant Reformation that this question becomes really prominent. And it's at the Council of Trent that the Roman Catholics bring the hammer down and say, these books are canonical, and they do it as a reaction to the Protestants. But it's important to note that the Protestants aren't throwing those books out. They're they're really just saying they never should have been there to begin with. And then you go back to the patristics, the early writings, and though they were included as important, they weren't ever included as canonical. So it really comes down to what did the Jewish people see as canon uh, in relation to the Old Testament? So that's kind Mm -hmm. of like some things. Maybe you guys can bounce back off of that if you have some clarifying questions
0: and and such. Well, that reminds me of... um, This is more talking about the the authority of Scripture itself, Um, but Sproul talked about years ago um, when this debate was raging around in American Christianity there were uh, I can't remember the name of um, the summit or the or the the group that was meeting together, but basically the way that they came down on it was how did Christ, because we view Christ as authoritative, obviously. <laughs> um, then how did Christ view these books? And we always see Christ's citations of the Old Testament, like yeah, like his in in his temptation in the wilderness, he doesn't respond to Satan with his own authority, which he has, yeah. but he didn't do it as the son of God, right? He, he said, you you know, no, but it's written and he's yeah. always going back or he says this, thus it was contained to them. And, um, you know, meeting with the men on the road to Emmaus and he unraveled and explained, uh, the old Testament scripture to them in light of this newer revelation. So that was more about the, um, the authority specifically, but again, that old Testament aspect and and the intertestimonial testimonial I can't even speak to you. I could say well Hamas a all night yeah, long. There you go. But not so <laughs> bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some English words that are just too too much for me, apparently. Yeah. I don't know what's going <laughs> on. It's go- hard There's- to be so Dutch. Yeah, <laughs> Inter-test- <laughs> <laughs> Inter-test- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently so. Um, mm-hmm. the other aspect of those books and, and this is something I found as well, just in a cursory reading of some of them and in a cursory reading of some of the um the Gnostic gospels is and and i guess this comes down to the idea of of finding the voice of god within the word of god it just doesn't like it's like when you read letters from your friend or texts i guess and and you're like wait that doesn't sound like yeah that doesn't sound like them that actually happened to me today i sent my friend a link to a giveaway and he's like wait uh say something blake ish so i know yeah. it's not spam and i replied about uh some money from a nigerian prince and i need your social security number <laughs> uh, but he knows that that's kind of my sense of humor so he was yeah. like oh yeah it's obviously you um, right
2: so was it that was it the sipping on theology giveaway i'm assuming that's oh, what you, always, said, the link that you obviously. said okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> um
0: but what was funny was that um I, I i think there is something to that right when you read those 66 books the old and new testament there is this cohesiveness despite all the human authors um yeah. And because it's all one author ultimately. And then you read the intertestamental period and you read the Gnostic gospels and they don't have that same flavor of divinity for lack of a better term. It reads like other religious texts or other historic texts or really interesting fan fiction. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how else to put that. I don't know. Justin. Yeah, Uh,
1: Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking like, the first couple of times I, I opened up and, and read through the Apocrypha, I thought a very similar thing. I was like, I was thinking to myself, this sounds like uh, when my friend is is pranking me because somebody else <laughs> is texting me back. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just, it's it's funny they mention that. Mentioned that. Um, so regarding the canon, uh, I guess another significant question that could be uh, very beneficial to hear the answer to would be why... Um, for example, why have we chosen these particular 66 books and how were they chosen? So I think a lot of people don't realize how we got the books that we have yeah, uh, yeah. in the canon.
2: Yeah, definitely. And our theology of canon, a lot of times we have to we have to back up and define our terms a bit. Mm-hmm. And just even the idea of being chosen. So a lot of work that's been done, especially on the New Testament canon side, is an argument saying which I'm convinced of this that the canon in fact chose itself, so it wasn't us, the church, that chose it. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a couple of things that go into play with that in terms of the intrinsic sure. value of these texts that we are speaking of. And but it's also important to note that I mean, because that sounds a bit like mystical and ha- okay, so yeah, <laughs> I, I'm on board. But tell me how it worked. Like, tell me which council that it happened at and who <laughs> pinned the 66 books and sure. and all of like. It's it's within our bones. We want that so bad. You know, we yeah. want it just to be, we can point to this council and say, this is when and why and where, but th- this gets again at our theology of canon is that it's long, slow, and hard. And mm. it, it's just a lot more messy than we are. We tend to be comfortable with given that, you know, there's this, there's miratory fragment back in the second century that has 22 of the 27 books. That's when, you know, we can look back to that time and say, there's, you know, massive agreement then. But then there's like five books that are disagreed upon for quite some time. So it's just a little bit messy. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, when it all shakes out, we can look back and say the reason why these ones were recognized as the church at large, as the body of believers, is because they were, in fact, intrinsically canonical. Um, I, I don't know if that answers your question. Again, it's it's just more yeah. messy.
1: No, I think that's a better answer than I've often heard, because a lot of times uh, you'll get the history, you'll get the dates and the councils and all sure. those things as far as how we how we concluded that these were the sixty but um i've often wondered well councils happen what if another council came today and decided something yeah. else why yeah, why sure. is that what how we've determined what the canon is and and i've often thought about the self-authenticating nature of scripture you yeah. know um i think it was uh, I can't remember if it was Lewis or Tolkien, one of those guys who said uh, that Scripture just needs to be, it might have been Spurgeon, actually, but, <laughs> I, you know, it, it, Scripture just needs to be loosed like a lion. It defends itself. You know, yeah. we don't need to necessarily defend Scripture. It just, it defends itself because it's it's not, and it's not circular reasoning because it's right. self-authenticating. There's a difference <laughs> between those two things yeah, and, uh, sure. in an age now where um, everything is so incredibly uh, materialistic people don't like the idea that we can't point to something else yeah uh, to sure. authenticate it
2: yeah and on that note too there's there is no church-wide council that lists all the books people sure. for instance the Roman Catholics will point to like the Council of Carthage the Council of Rome but those are regional councils they're not church they're not ecumenical councils in the way that we see them it's not mm-hmm. until Trent that we see the the Roman Catholics bringing down this list and so mm-hmm it lends itself to say that that's why, because the early church knew what, exactly what you're saying, that scripture is defending itself. They didn't have to have a council to decide that, sure. uh, which is an important note.
0: Well, this reminds me of, um, speaking of councils and, and church statements, um, I do love the way that uh, the Westminster Divines put this in one article, chapter one, article five of the Westminster Confession. They say, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to an high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. And the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery of it makes the only way of man's salvation. The many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God, yet notwithstanding. Our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. Um, And I think that just, it comes back to something we said a couple weeks ago, Justin, that ultimately you can read the Bible cover to cover. And understand intellectually, make intellectual assent to all these doctrines. We're jumping ahead in, in systematic theology here. Um, you can you can have that assensus, right? But if you don't mm-hmm. have that personal trust that's instilled by the Spirit, it doesn't mean anything. If you don't have that saving trust, you can have that intellectual assent to facts, um, but there is that difference too. That that's not salvific without um, the personal trust and the and the recognition, which only comes supernaturally. Um, yeah. So Austin, your I guess in studies and then in uh, your encounters with Christians of different walks, what do you find are common objections that that you've encountered from from friends or um, maybe things you had to write about in seminary? Um, and what are some practical things that uh, just because most of our most of our podcasts we're all just kind of ordinary ordinary people who like whiskey and theology. So what yeah, are right? Um, Like there's nothing about you or I that is ordinary, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, we're just too weird. Um, But I guess what are, uh, if we haven't already touched on some of them, what are some of those common objections to this idea of canonicity, self-authentication, authoritative word, right? Sola Scriptura, as Mm -hmm. people of the Reformation. Um, And what are some, I guess, simple ways that we can uh, encourage people in, in dealing with those objections?
2: Yeah, um, I, I think one of the main objections that we see in the church at large is that the canon is imposed on the church, and therefore we can't trust it. It's a group of men who decide it, thus we need to throw it out altogether. But we've already given enough evidence to to come against that argument, so I think we can stick with some of those things we've mentioned. Another one that is very common as well, due to the work of like Bart Ehrman, uh, Walter Bauer, Elaine Pagels, is this idea of uh, heresy and orthodoxy. So it's it's the idea that there was no true doctrine in the early church, but it was kind of like a free for all. And so many people will point to this time and say the only reason why the Bible is authoritative in your Christian worldview is because the Christians won the day. Through the Emperor Constantine, they they came in and they imposed these books upon the early church. And, Hashtag
0: blame Constantine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right, right. I
2: like get a lot and, of that <laughs>
1: Constantine blame from my Messianic friend.
2: Oh, yeah. And and it's crazy how this narrative that there was no orthodoxy is right. is just spread through its thick within the church. Yeah. And so I think one of the things that we need to do is just show that canonicity was... It was, very, it was on the brains of the early church. The sound doctrine was on the brains of the... Obviously, we read the New Testament, and the amount of times Paul is exhorting his listener to preach the word, think of how he speaks to Timothy, to preach the word and preach sound doctrine, be aware of, of false doctrine. Those claims and exhortations are... It, it'd be crazy for him to do that if there was no sound doctrine. <laughs> and so I, I think that we just need to be aware that that's in the air that we breathe and to show that well that's because Walter Bauer uh, wrote this thesis and it was popularized by Bart Ehrman you know that's if we know those kind of basic facts and you can just pick up like uh, Michael Kruger's book Heresy of Orthodoxy and that takes you through that whole narrative and and gives you a different argument so to say that's a really good resource man because I've
0: definitely encountered a lot of those kinds of notions um i think the other thing i hear from people a lot is uh well like they'll this is not necessarily directly on the topic of canon this is more doctrine of scripture at large but they'll talk about like well what was it like you know these guys just making this stuff up in the in the desert like were they (laughs) you know or or at the flip side they'll say well what is this like god just like taking over the the prophet's hand and like Mm. you know dictating Mm -hmm. to them and obviously we don't agree with either of those things and,
1: well yeah. I, I think a lot yeah. of it boils down to uh just a matter of ignorance yeah we, we sure. don't have the education now that was once expected amongst the lay people
2: Certainly.
1: um you know you read some of the some of the systematics for example um you look at the institutes you look at um, who who Bob Inc. is writing to, there's a certain level of expectation of the reader, right, yeah. that they understand redemptive history, they understand Scripture as a whole, um, as yeah. far as, like, just the basics. And so um, if you were to write a systematic, for today's common Western evangelical, you would have to be writing, like, to a five-year-old, yeah. because they, we just don't understand in-depth Christian doctrine. And so I think a lot of that, I've encountered that a lot. Um, there was a guy I worked with uh, several years ago, and he had he had mentioned something about um, wanting to talk to me about Scripture because he knew that I was a Christian. He called himself a Christian. Um, really really wasn't um but like he, he he rejected scripture almost entirely saying that you know well you know it doesn't you know nowhere in the bible does it claim to be the word of god i'm like have you read like the new testament have you read yeah. timothy yeah. you know it literally says it's god breathed you know yeah. so yeah. and he's like where does it say that And i showed him and he's like hmm yeah. well jesus what was translation is that and he, yeah and then he, <laughs> yeah so, so it's just one thing after another and and it just, it shocked me and it it doesn't anymore, but it, it, for, for whatever reason at that moment, it just kind of shocked me that just the lack of any sort of academia in the church in the West at large.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This is precisely why I did a four part series on yeah. Canon and, and even then just scratched the surface and I repeated myself a whole bunch for mm-hmm. that very reason, I, I think we need a push. Like we need yeah. to be talking about this more. Well, often. that's why
1: Blake and I started to do the systematic theology series. We we want to be yeah. able to basically, like like Blake said, we're we're just your average guys. I mean, you know, I, I'm a I'm a you know elder in my church, but that's like the extent of it. Um, we we both did study theology at school and stuff, but as far as like Christians go, we're just your average guys mm-hmm. um, who are just nerds about theology, and so we wanted to take. Yeah. Um, a lot of these more complex doctrines and just be able to distill them. Uh, hence the name for the average person, uh, who, who we'd be be engaging with on the street now, you know, being able to uh, take a a complex, you know, um, discussion on eschatology or, uh, whatever and, and, and break it down. So, so people can just kind of pick up what we're laying down in a very easy way. Yeah. Um, because because there's just a massive like that's why i i never look at any other podcasts right now is like competition because i'm like we need more of this yeah, we do. need all of this
0: we do Yeah. is another plug for the society of Reform podcasters <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> which honestly I'm, I'm really enjoying i can't keep up with all the shows but i try really it's hard it's so hard mm-hmm. i know I, especially because right now like i'm not i don't drive anywhere right now i'm living yeah. on campus and that was like the prominent you know time of podcasting and so now it's i have to carve out time to podcast which is yeah hard to do but yeah anyways
0: (laughs) no i feel that it's um but it is something cool to those of you guys listening though it is definitely um there's a lot of good programming and i and i think it's diverse enough just yeah like it's not like you're gonna get the same set of guys even though like reform brotherhood is also two guys talking theology and steady anchor is also um the one man with the circulating guests and uh uh, the Bob cast is three guys and reformed pilgrims is three guys, but at the same time, there's a great amount of diversity within the personalities and also the, the focus um, yeah. and, and the way that people do it. Like where are the, I, I like to think of us as the, the uh ugly duckling, yeah, the, the outlaws. <laughs> I was going to say it sounded cooler, but yeah, the, the kind of rough, rough around the edges, but hopefully lovable on the, on the inside uh, dad jokes and whiskey and theology, you know, but no, it's, um, It's amazing to me, having gone to a Christian college, I went to Regent University uh, in Virginia Beach and I was studying film and business, but I also had to take Christian worldview classes. And like, I got to read about Summa Theologica. And about Calvin's Institute. I didn't read them, but I read about them. Right. Uh, And I got this, like, kind of cursory, you know, introduction. And these were survey classes, so that's not a knock on anybody. But, you know.
1: See, for me, it was very different because I I went to a Wesleyan school. My dad uh, is a Wesleyan pastor. He's not a Wesleyan anymore. He's a Calvinist. Most of my church is Calvinists now. Um, Praise God. Just because my dad, my dad's always said it like this. He goes, well, you know, I'm like, Dad, you're you're just preaching. You're a Calvinist. You know, you (laughs) affirm everything that I've read out of the confessions and you reject all of these things in the Wesleyan discipline. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, he goes, well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I believe the Bible. I'm like,
2: yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> so you're a Calvinist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's Great it. Point. And,
1: and, uh, and now he like affirms the fact that he's a Calvinist, which I'm yeah. happy about, but that's awesome. Um, so I went to a Wesleyan school, but when I was studying theology there, um, it was my minor, it was not my major, but I, I spent plenty of time in systematic theology class, church history and stuff. And, um I, I I never heard about Calvin or Luther yeah. or a, any of these prominent. Uh, I think I think maybe a couple of times I heard Spurgeon because everybody loves Spurgeon, you know. But yeah. uh, but I, I I so little heard about any of these other people. So when I when I graduated, I knew I didn't affirm everything that the Wesleyan Church taught, you know. But I I knew I I I, there were, I couldn't put my finger on it, and then I ended up in the pub and reconnecting with Blake 10 years later and so yeah but yeah it was um it was an interesting journey to get here but yeah
0: yeah well that kind of um <laughs> brings me to another question not necessarily directly related to canon but how did you end up at Westminster and kind of why did I, I know you you're talking about like what the podcast is but yeah how did your experience in westminster or the journey there get you into starting a
2: podcast yeah Uh, yeah yeah so i was exposed to the reformed faith back man i would say in 2014 or so um roughly. I was at a broadly evangelical church, pastor, was hearing directly from God, teaching others how to hear from God, uh, very manipulative and um, abusive in terms of his leadership. And so I saw the inconsistencies. I was also teaching in the high school at the time. And, and then I picked up Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology just because I wanted to know more. And I started reading it and I he laid out some of the different views in terms of the uh, soteriology. And I thought, well, that I like what he's saying about Calvinism, though he he's not necessarily a Calvinist. He laid out the view clearly. And at the same time, I was listening to like the young, restless, reformed guys, Matt Chandler and such. Okay. And so I was getting both of those things, also teaching in the high school and began to shift theologically. And at that point, I I my, I was only a Calvinist in terms of my, my I was just my doctrine of salvation had shifted and I didn't recognize that there was this whole system out there. I ended up, my wife and I ended up moving to a reformed church for the nourishment of our souls. We weren't hearing the gospel preached. You know, it was all about service. Do this and do this. On Sundays, you're here for the new people. And we realized, man, we need to sit under the word. And so we did that. And so we we shifted to a, a reformed church or a church that is reforming, I should say. And about after about three years there, I'd been sharing my desire to preach and teach God's word It's and I had already had an opportunity to do that in the past, but I realized my inadequacies, you know, I was, I didn't know what I was saying up there, but to, in their view, I was anointed by the spirit just because I had, I was able to speak coherently and I was passionate, <laughs> you know? So in that world, yeah. it's like, if you can, you know, hold a, a 10 minute sent or a 10 minute, uh, speeching, uh, speaking engagement, you, you must have the the spirit anointing. Anyways, um, yeah. so yeah, our, my pastors there, they just did a fantastic job shepherding my wife and I through that. Okay, what's next? I want to preach and I have this desire to know God's word well. And so they just started pointing me towards, yeah, you need to, the next thing is seminary. So sit under us for another year or so, learn from us. So I was, you know, going to elder meetings, teaching in a small group. And so it was a very, like, really great, I look back on that time and um, I just felt so nourished then and still mm-hmm. do They you know, I'm still in contact with them. And, um, so they kind of sent me off to here. They recommended Westminster as well as a few others around the nation. And given that I was already in California, I looked at the faculty and I thought I'm already reading some of these guys. I like, could be fantastic to go and sit yeah. under them. And then they just built student housing. So it was just a win-win, you know, there was all these things that lined up, went to seminary for a day and, um, you know, it was just a great fit. So now we've you know been here for two years and looking forward now to what what the future holds in terms of ordination and future ministry, and it's that's good stuff. It's awesome. And then where in the midst of seminary did you find time to start podcasting? <laughs> that's a that's a great question. I don't know. Do I have time? Um, I you know I've been thinking about it for a long time. Given the, my background and being in that that world that I was in where I saw that abuse, mm. I've my heart has just yearned for those people that I had relationships with then and, hmm. and kind of burned some bridges back then as I shifted mm-hmm. out um, becoming Calvinist in that world. You you're just written off um, yeah. the pastor there as I was leaving, did a sermon series, the doctrine of Calvinism, the doctrine of demons. And, you know, I'm the guy who is now following Satan because of that. And so I've always had a heart to like try to reach that crowd mm-hmm. and, I've reached out before and fallen on my face. And so I thought, man, maybe, maybe a podcast would be the right Avenue. And so I just thought about it for years and finally thought, man, let's do it. And then the Bobcast started. So I was inspired by those guys and thought, man, I could do this too. You know, I, I have the content and a heart for it. So just picked up a mic or actually I started on my computer, mic, you know, and just started recording and thought, Hey, how does this, all this work? You know? (laughs) Yeah. That's
1: awesome, man.
0: We're really super glad cool. to be uh, fellow members with you, man. In this, it's
2: it's uh, Blake
1: and I have both literally thought about going to seminary just for the sake of going to seminary.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, you know, <laughs> if you have the time and the money, then it's. Uh, you you mentioned a great point, Justin, about laymen and having a <laughs> theological grounding. I, I think that's yeah. super important. And I mean, we need like yourself, you know, an elder in the church who knows theology and laymen to have theological degrees is, I think, priceless. So, yeah, for what that's worth, I'd say do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like it. I mean,
0: well, that was something my dad said that to me. He's like, so have you thought about going to seminary? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, I mean, you're basically, you're basically doing the reading of a first year. Because I'm like reading Bavink and Calvin and reading stuff from Joel Beakey and Mike Horton and opening a brocol and reading some owen and I'm like all right I'm kind of, yeah
2: you're already there
0: right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep are there any specific volumes that you think would be particularly beneficial for people on this topic of canon or on script, solo scriptura or doctrine scripture in general
2: Yeah, there is a few, actually. So I I plugged it in the episode, but Heresy of Orthodoxy, Mm -hmm. all the work that Michael Kruger has done, I I just, I'm I'm indebted to his work. I I think that he's been, he's like the guy uh, in in terms of New Testament canon. So I'd say pick up any of his works, um, Revisiting Canon, or sorry, Canon Revisited, Heresy of Orthodoxy, and there's another one. And then Um, I I would say tap into a lot of like the YouTube resources. He has a website, so you can do a lot of that without even reading his works. You can just get a lot. He's done a lot of that just free in terms of content. And then also there's a collaborated work called Sola Scriptura with, uh, RC Sproul, James White. Um, and then a few others, John MacArthur, I think has a chapter. That's a great work. Um, that's a really, that's a very basic entry level work that i think i would even start there before michael kruger's stuff um so yeah i would recommend that um so yeah there's a few and uh, i can send you some others if you want to drop them in the show notes or something that'd be great so would love that just ways to give people more um although it's funny
0: one of our members in the group was like you guys need to stop recommending books because i keep buying them
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you never have too many
0: (laughs) in all seriousness though it's um it's been awesome to sit and chat about canon. Do you have any other, like, kind of as we kind of wind down, any other thoughts on um, canon of scripture or sola scriptura, totus scriptura, anything that's like um, admonitions or encouragements or challenges for our listeners uh, yeah, while, I, while you got this captive audience?
2: Yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, so, while, now that I've gathered you all here today, uh, let me, let me I, I think one of the main things that I, if I could thrust this, is just that where we find our authority and that we cannot set ourselves over up against God's word. And mm. that is the basis of, of where supreme source of authority is scripture. And I, I think that this is so important in a day where authority truth is relative. We need to be bold in the face of that and be, find our confidence to be able to say that about scripture and not feel like the oddball when we're talking to, you yeah. know, a bunch of pluralists that wouldn't want to say that. And and, and then just see how that is such a blessing on our lives because we go to these covenant documents of our covenant Lord who has revealed himself. And um, so just to find, like, just to revel in that and find the beauty therein that God has chosen to make himself known and given us his word. And then we can know it. And it's it's this deep well that we keep coming to it. And there's so much more there. Um, so that, that'd be just some of my closing thoughts. Oof. That's so yeah. good, man. It's good stuff. That is awesome. Well, Well.
0: (laughs) one more reminder, if you want to get an awesome quote, speaking of rich theological traditions and uh, theologians and systematic theology, if you want to get a cool coffee mug so you can sip some coffee while talking about theology, uh, you can get one of our... Quotes or Quote mugs at ShopDistillingTheology.com, featuring a quote from The Wonderful Works of God by Herman Bavink. Uh, we have three different mugs currently, three different color patterns, three different quotes. And for that limited time, you can get all three for just 33 33 so check that out. Uh, Justin, how else can people get in touch with us, hang out with us, whatever else yeah. is going on?
1: Well, uh, if you are on the social medias, as it were, uh, join us on Instagram, on uh, Facebook. Just search Distilling Theology and you shall find us. We have a Facebook (coughs) group as well as a Facebook page. Join the group. There's uh, a lot of really fun, uh, ridiculous conversation going on in there. Um, You can see some some great memes and uh, also partake in some great conversations and uh, also get great um, whiskey
0: recommendations. I was going to say if stuff. you I've had 3 different instances this this week where somebody was like, "Hey, I'm at the liquor store." here's yeah, a photo of the wall yeah. <laughs> what, should, what should i do you know, here's my budget here's <laughs> what i want uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's what's been cool in the group and same thing with the books too is like mm-hmm. hey mm-hmm. i'm thinking about getting you know i have this much budget what should i get and yeah it's been really cool to see the response because we have a, a, a diverse group um, but yeah. a lot of really solid people in there uh so that's been awesome
1: blake and i also occasionally will do live streams on the facebook page um Maybe mixing cocktails or doing other ridiculous things. Um, so join us there. Also join us on Patreon. If I was going to say, speaking us. of yeah. live streams, yeah, speaking <laughs> of live streams. If you join us on Patreon, Patreon, you become a patron on Patreon. I always get those words. Um, uh, we have a couple different levels now, um, or will. So mm. join us there. Um, if you join us, though, uh, you will get uh, access to our content early. Um, you will get a discount on the store. Uh, so down the road when we finally release these to the public, these are our Distilling Theology at Glen Cairns Uh, we also will be be doing rocks, glasses you'll get a discount there so definitely you want to hop on that that bandwagon and be part of the family, plus uh, we honestly really appreciate our patrons who support us Um, it really is what makes it possible for us to be able to put in the time and the effort that we are able to do um, on there uh, on this podcast, so Thank you guys for doing that. Um, And right now, the entry level is just less than a Frappuccino at Starbucks. Uh, So uh, believe me when I say this will be more satisfying than a Frappuccino. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. If you want
0: to see all of our faces and see uh, Austin's awesome beard, Mm. check us out on Patreon.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, there there are two full beards on this episode. So
0: by all means. (laughs) Y'all are missing out if you can't see us. That's right. That's right. Uh, once again, another reminder: go check out, subscribe to Sipping on Theology. Um, follow him on Instagram. He's got some and Facebook. He's got some great content coming out. Uh, yeah, Blue doing Rick some giveaways on
1: Instagram like a boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> crushing it. Uh, no, but
2: seriously, doing some great work over there, man. And uh, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's uh, it's been a joy to hang out with you guys for a bit. Yeah, man. Thanks for hanging out and sipping some whiskey. We're sipping on theology and just. I I will say this:
0: when I first saw uh, the podcast (laughs) name, and somebody in the the Society Reform podcast was like, "Hey, my friend Austin's starting a podcast. You guys, we should add him." And I saw the name, I was like, "Wait a second,
2: what is this?" (laughs) Yeah, I. So my wife and I, like my wife, when I when I said I wanted to start it, I like my wife is the creative. She's the one behind the camera. Um, oh. doing all the content. And so she came up with the name and I was like, that's it. This is great. Yeah. And then when we joined, like I had never heard of you guys. We joined uh, society of Reform podcasters and I saw the name and I thought, Oh man. So I went to her and it's like, what, that's why I reached out to you that day. And like, right after I joined, cause I was like, <laughs> I got to like clear the air here to, to let, if I would have known you guys existed, that would not have been a thing. And so anyways, cause they're just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it works Anyways. out really well though it's so <laughs> yeah. good but it was well, funny yeah. there was
0: that initial and then once I realized it was coffee it was fine I was worried that there was like another podcast in the network that was doing distilled spirits and, and yeah. dad jet and I was like no yeah. that's our that's right. our gimmick <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> well it's like when uh, when we came in after the pub had kind of disappeared mm-hmm. uh, or the pub cast, you know uh, people were all like hey you know you guys are just being the pub cast 2.0 and then we're
0: like we're gonna solve
1: that by having less
0: on the podcast yeah. <laughs> Problem solved. Modern problems require modern Modern solutions. solutions. (laughs) But thanks again, Austin. It was awesome having you here. And yeah, yeah, so reminder: go check out that series on Canon if you guys want to. This was just a little little taste, uh, but Austin did some really great work over there. So check that out.
1: This was just a little sip. If (laughs) there it is. There it is.
0: If you guys want to hear us talk about more Scotch, more Canon, more coffee, and more awesomeness check us out on patreon for our extended episode (laughs) so next week will be sort of a rerun episode because I'm going to be traveling and summertime being what it is so we are going to be running our live episode which was recorded May 1st we live streamed it into the Facebook group and we were tasting Knob Creek small batch bourbon with people in the group which was just awesome we'll probably do another one sometime but enjoy that uh, and then we'll be back uh, the week after on your regularly scheduled podcast so thank you guys (laughs) So Justin, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. Amen.